Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by John Jandock. John, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. All right. So for uh, folks who are listening and meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are, what you do? Yeah. Uh, my name is John Jandock. I'm uh, currently the principal UI front-end engineer at a startup in Los Angeles called Bambi. We do uh, we provide HR services for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, started working there pretty much when uh, COVID kicked off. Uh, it wasn't originally a remote company, but it, my entire experience there has been remote. So it's been pretty fun. Um, previously, uh, I was working for the Elizabeth Warren campaign. Uh, and before that, uh, doing uh, agencies and uh, the uh, another startup in Los Angeles called Joy Mode. Awesome. Yeah, you've definitely had a, a lot of awesome experience uh, working, working in tech. Um, so one thing that, that I'm curious about is... How how would you say that your perspective has changed? And so now I think you just said you're like a principal engineer. I imagine at one point in time you were a junior. How would you say that that yeah your views on things have changed over time? Yeah, uh, I guess even to back up further, uh, when I first got out of college, I had the intention of doing design work. I was a designer ten years ago, um, and uh, had had the intention, you know, like. Uh, Doing design, doing advertisements, working for an ad agency. Uh, it ended up that I got an internship uh, doing web design specifically, uh, kind of as a result of the fact that throughout high school and college, I just casually made HTML pages, uh, like static um, uh, websites for, for myself for fun, for a hobby. Uh, and we're talking about like the 90s here. So we're like, when I say HTML websites, I mean, literally, I was hand coding HTML. Uh, and Did my- you use the marquee tag? <laughs> uh, I was using frame sets, marquees. Yeah, it was all there. Uh, nice. Uh, tables. Ta- yeah, cool. tables. Table. Actually, so the funny thing is my part of my interview when I was doing an internship, they're looking for someone who's like web design, but also had some a little bit of uh, knowledge about HTML was literally I whiteboarded a tabu- table layout, uh, call spans, row spans. They wanted me to actually write that out. Uh, early 2000 uh, in a job interview and you know it's it was it was a different time altogether uh <laughs> to even more like put this into kind of perspective one of the other one of my other big selling points is i had done some flash animation uh mm. in college and presented that as a portfolio piece so that was a pretty pretty impressive thing to pull out at the uh design interviews some flash so i actually did a lot of yeah, did a lot of flash animation, did a lot of web design, I did print ads, I did billboards, kind of a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and this company, uh, Spark Networks, they own uh, JDate, Jewish dating service. And to further put this into perspective, this is when it was embarrassing to tell people that I worked for an online dating company because online dating was still mm, a yeah. big, big taboo. Um, yeah, uh, so, you know, like that in terms of just perspective that's changed, that touches on a few things, right? Like the, the Nate, uh, our normalized relationship to technology, to the internet, and what we're willing to do on it changed a whole bunch. The tech that I was working with, you know, t- table-based layouts, flash animations, all things that are like gone, but they got me the job, you know, coming out of coming out of uh, college. Um, you know, uh, I guess as time went on, I, I was doing that job for about six years. Um, I kind of my my interest kind of evolved in that I would 
do these UI designs and then be kind of annoyed at how, at like how poorly they were executed. Uh, uh, you know, like just little details in typography, design, spacing, color, whatever. Um, and I'd be taking on more and more responsibility of writing out the HTML and eventually the CSS uh, once that became an adopted thing and we weren't doing, you know, inline uh, table-based layouts. Um, uh, and then uh, jQuery came along and made a lot more, uh, made it a lot easier to make, you know, these rich interactive experiences. Uh, and that was a game changer. I, I didn't come from, uh, you know, computer science programming background. I had... When I was a little kid, uh, I was writing programs in BASIC, uh, and I was skipping a recess so that I could stay in and, you know, write write on a Commodore 64. So that was nice. fun. Um, but you know, I had you know, as time evolved, I didn't really stick with that, other than making like a Magic the Gathering fan site in frame sets and table based layouts um, in in high school. So uh, yeah, so the you know, like um, now. I was actually, thanks to jQuery and thanks to like Firebug and Firefox, I was a lot more empowered to make fixes uh, and be a lot more efficient in that. So I actually just really enjoyed doing that and felt like I was a lot more effective at that than actually doing design. So I kind of transitioned to doing that. Uh, one of my last big projects at JDate was uh, m.jdate.com, back when you would have a separate mobile site. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we built that on jQuery Mobile. That was the first time I was introduced to like an MVC framework, uh, like ASP. That, that that site was built on ASP.NET MVC, whereas previously it was ASP.NET Web for. Um, so yeah, just like realizing how empowering that could be to start to actually build all that got me really excited. So that's um, about the time that I decided to make the switch. Well, for one thing, I'd been at J for six years, so that's a lifetime to be working anywhere. But I really wanted to commit to actually like going into dev, uh, switched over to an agency, Blue State Digital, um, and uh, now it's called Blue State, uh, but that gave me a really great opportunity to start applying, you know, like tech skills and like getting a wider breadth of knowledge, just trying out different projects uh, and get to like time box this now. This is around early 2010s. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the, like, the, I'd say the primary thing that we we're building stuff in, we we're building a lot of, uh, um, uh, Marketing sites, uh, uh, you know, just general websites. A lot of those were built on Expression Engine at the time. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers that, but uh, it was kind of we we went in as an alternative to WordPress. We we were actually way into Expression Engine. Uh, it's kind of that that project is uh, kind of broken off and evolved into Craft now. If you remember that uh, as a CMS, um, but the uh, the front end portion of that, a lot of that was just again still like hand coding stuff. Uh, the introduction of Grunt and eventually the introduction of Gulp uh, were all to come later. Like that, I was part of that process of getting those, you know, like back then new web technologies introduced. Uh, and the nice part about the agency is like you get to work on a bunch of different projects and you get to take a bunch of different swings and make a lot of, um, you know, experiments uh, with new technologies or like maybe they're experiments or maybe they're just uh getting in practice for exposure to things that you haven't uh, worked with before. So, you know, in terms of just uh, someone who was coming from a design uh, background, getting into dev, that was a really good opportunity for me to just try a bunch of stuff out. Um, you know, eventually, from the, uh, uh, just a general front-end developer, moved up to, like, a senior front-end developer, and uh, 
later became they called a deputy director of front end development. Uh, essentially, it's just like assistant to the manager of front end <laughs> development. Um, uh, that so that was a a little bit of like splitting time between do it continuing to do development, but also a little bit of like people management and a little bit of like. Uh, engineering culture uh, and processes focus. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people make, th- there's a lot of people who will make that transition from kind of individual contributor management. Uh, and so this was me kind of like trying that out for a little bit. Uh, I didn't have to manage that many people. So that gave me a chance to focus more on the process side of things. And I found out that that's really w- like what I enjoyed of figuring out how as a team, that uh, a team of engineers that are working on different projects and different clients and having kind of distributed work where, you know, it'd be like one designer, one developer, one project project manager working on a client, you know, kind of as a, as a unit. And I'm not necessarily working with other engineers or, you know, code reviewing other people's work. Um, how can we find the benefits of that cross-engineering collaboration while working across different clients, different projects, different needs, and possibly different tech stacks. So, you know, like trying to refine that um, uh, was definitely one of my big focuses. So, you know, how can we work on like style guides, linting, for mm-hmm. instance, just to, like what does our code look like and how do we define that? Um, you know, what I found was uh, you can write all the style guidelines you want, but if you don't have a way <laughs> to like enforce it, no one will follow it. So, you know, like... Adding in ESLint into our build process, into our dev process, was a huge thing. And you know, like it sounds like a simple duh thing now, but you know, we're talking about the evolution of the web and uh, you know, from adopt- adopting stuff like Grunt and Gulp and now Webpack. Uh, just how much our tool set has changed, and how like uh, you know, getting back to the original question of how's my perspective changed, uh, the stuff that we're able to do now. Like it's a lot more complex than it used to be than like writing, you know, frame set personal home pages in the nineties. It's certainly like a lot harder to just pick something up, but we're able to do so much more and be so much more efficient. You know, like I think about I don't have to fix IE five point five level six bugs anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, and <laughs> how much time that would take. Uh um I can, you know, like something like Netlify now can allow me to to put something live with a CI/CD pipeline, uh, and just have that live in, in minutes and seconds. It's um, it's it's pretty awesome, like what we're all able to do. So, a lot of my focus uh, at Blue State in this kind of like managerial role was like focusing on how can we improve the process, how can we improve engineering culture and uh, kind of facilitate learning from each other. Um, another one of the things that I was a huge advocate for uh, was uh, right around, uh, I guess, like 2016, 2017, um, we were finding that uh, uh, at Blue State, like the, the, the projects that we we're working on, uh, so Blue State focuses a lot on work with political, nonprofit advocacy groups. Um, yeah, they, they ran the, the Obama campaign in 8 and 12, and uh, yeah, I, I, my work with them, I worked for Freedom to Marry, doing marriage equality, uh, Malaria No More, Stand Up to Cancer, so a whole bunch of really great clients, a lot of mission-driven stuff. Um, but what we're finding is we're doing a lot of work for these kind of larger nonprofit groups that had larger budgets, like Sierra Club. We built a, a custom CMS in React for them. Um, but... <laughs> We were pricing ourselves out of working with smaller, medium-sized organizations where maybe they don't need a custom CMS. They just need like a landing page with a few other content pages for some campaign that they wanted. Um, 
balance. So, like, how can we achieve that more efficiently um, and be able to do work that we're passionate about for, you know, like at all scales? Uh, so, one of my big focuses there was getting, was looking into like static site generators. And when Netlify came on board, being really, really excited about that um, and, and kind of pushing for adoption there, uh, I actually developed a, I call it the Blue State Static Site Starter Kit or hmm. BSIC for short. Um, and that was like, that was just a, a collection of tooling uh, to quickly spin up a static site using uh, Gulp, Pug, SAS, uh, and uh, you know some other, just other stuff that we used a lot and just putting that into a nice template um, that we could quickly spin out stuff. Um, yeah, and we, we used that for a number of clients, but eventually I was like, oh, Look at, we've got like, there's Next, Gatsby, Nuxt. Uh, as we started to look into React, and Vue, and these kind of like JavaScript frameworks, uh, you know, we're able to find more powerful tooling than the thing that I just uh, put together myself. And that also, you know, allowed us to build stuff without having to worry about DevOps, without having to worry about a backend engineer who's going to actually be writing like PHP for WordPress or Drupal. Um, and, it, you know, do live coming completely in that JavaScript front. Uh, JavaScript front-end realm. So, like in a way, this this harkens back to finding jQuery and feeling really empowered about being able to do to execute on a vision. Uh, similarly, with a lot of our you know, static site generated sites and a lot of like the really rich uh, React view frameworks out there, being able to again like execute, uh, you know, like as a as a solely as a front-end developer to be able to do kind of uh, the uh, the entire tech technical side of a project. Um, so yeah, that was that was huge. Uh, you know, I uh, noticed that uh, uh, Netlify recently announced a um, agency partnership program, and one of the launch partners hmm. was Blue State. Uh, so that you know, pretty proud. I'd like to think I had some influence yeah. on that one. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, anyway, so that that's you know, like in a nutshell, that's a lot of the work that I was doing at Blue State. Uh, I left that after about six and a half years because. Again, six years is a really long time to be at one place. Uh, and I was also just kind of uh, wanted to get out of the agency world of like going wide but shallow and instead go in on one mm -hmm. project and go deep. So that's what brought me to uh, Joy Mode uh, in the startup and, you know, like a lot of focus there on just going deep, owning the front end, building out a component library, re-architecting everything. Uh, really awesome opportunity there as well. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, and then that we I was there for about a year and a half, uh, and then uh, my kind of conscience called, uh, and uh, decided to uh, hop on board the the Elizabeth Warren campaign to see if I could uh, help save democracy, um, which you know was a great time. I was there for only six months. It feels like way longer than that, but you know, campaign ended, and then COVID started. So uh, here we are now. Right. And then now uh, it sounds like uh, I guess pretty recently you joined uh, this this most recent company, right? Yep, that's correct. Uh, yeah, so Bambi, um, another startup in Los Angeles, and kind of like uh, essentially picking up where I left off in in terms of like career goals of mm -hmm. just uh, you know being at a startup where I can smaller organization I can have a lot of influence and make a lot of the decisions with regards to front end and how how to build that out and uh, uh, architect that. Um, and yeah, like so a lot of my focus there um, as you know principal front end engineer has been uh, kind of like building out the, uh, another component library or another for me this would be their, their component uh, bambi's component mm -hmm. library um yeah my focus has been 
primarily building out a component library um, and kind of unifying our UI across different uh, across the different web apps that we have, um, acting as a you know trying to act as a multiplier um, for my teammates, uh, making it so folks who don't who are full stack don't specialize in front end don't really have to worry about it. They can just mm-hmm. pull off the shelves. Uh, like I, I like to say that I don't. I'm not a 10x engineer. I don't really believe in 10x engineers, but if I can 2x five engineer, and, <laughs> I love that. Know, yeah. So that the you know I think that's in terms of like my career over the last few years, that's been one of my big focuses is how you know how even from going back to like linting uh, and automating that process, how can I remove friction mm-hmm. and allow people to uh, create features more, more efficiently and more quickly. Um, while maintaining a like a high standard. Of okay, quality. awesome. Yeah, Sean, that was that was great. Uh, to getting to hear like the whole arc of a career that way. I think a lot of our listeners are gonna get a lot out of that. A couple of themes jumped out uh, to me. I mean, for one, just hearing the way that you talked about how fun, how excited um, you were at particular points in your career when you like your. I would say like your power or your capabilities got increased by particular tools. Like sounds like jQuery was a very, the pivotal moment sounded like at that point in time, you were able to achieve a lot more of your goals yourself without relying on, you know, maybe another developer who you had to hand things off to and and rely on them to be able to, to get your vision to where you wanted it. And then of course it sounds a little bit more recently um, you, you know, you, you really liked Netlify a whole bunch and that's, that's because you didn't, it seems like a lot of those DevOps, the, the deployment and those types of things just got magically taken care of and you didn't have to, to, to worry about that. Um, in terms of, in terms of your, uh, I guess career or, or like other juniors, like, do you, do you feel like that, that should be this compass that that developers should follow like like follow these things that that increase your your capability like look out for tools like that or is there some other way that that you think that 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 theme applies to other developers yeah i think like they um i've definitely like in listening to some of the past episodes of the podcast people bring up that like don't focus on the tools, but the kind of like the principles. I think that's really important. When I look back at all the stuff that I did, or the, all the stuff that I knew, like you know, frame sets, table sets, uh, Flash. Uh, I you know, I used to build stuff in Backbone uh, and Parse. I was a big fan of Parse back in the day. If you, if you guys remember any of that, or like you know, Gulp, Grunt, all these things that have fallen along the wayside. Uh, there's there's always some new tool, new tech that's kind of come around that you need to learn. But the like, what is really excited, what's really like drawn me, uh, and made me invest into learning more, digging deeper, is like you, yeah, like you said, the stuff that was more empowering, uh, uh, for me. Like it, it's both like I I become more efficient as an engineer, but um, it's it's just fun to mm-hmm. see it, to get closer to executing the vision without having to worry about you know cache invalidation or yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any anything else like i used to another thing is like image optimization that's you know it's rolled into gulp and grunt and webpack now but that was something we'd have to manually do you know like open up photoshop hit save for web and kind of fiddle around with the settings a little bit just to hit you know the right thing now we don't think about that now that's a step that's gone uh you know vendor prefixing step that's gone um you know i'd like uh, 
it's and yeah, I guess that that like things that can empower you is pretty great. Like it's hard for me to get excited about Webpack, but I respect <laughs> it a whole lot. <laughs> oh my god, I, don't get me started on Webpack. But uh, the um, I think what I'm picking up on and w- which I really like is that the way that you you chose these tools or the way that these tools excited you is that they weren't completely divorced from things that you are you are already doing like the like you were kind of already doing um deployments and when netlify came around and made it easier it was it was very it, it was like simpler uh for you and so it's almost like there was this 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 balance between Okay, you know, you got to learn Netlify. None of these tools are are completely costless in their in their learning curve, but you already had a cost of doing it yourself and so it wound up being this great trade. And so similarly it sounds like with the, you know, the prefixing and image optimization and and those types of uh tasks, you were already doing them and so when the tool came around that let you do them faster, you grabbed it gravitated towards them. And it's it sounds like it's less about just learning these tools for the sake of knowing them, like checking a box or, oh, this is popular. It sounds like investing the time is is pretty squarely related to how they can help you do the things that you're already doing better. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I definitely yeah, I think I think that's true. Like I like however folks like to explore technology uh, varies, but for me, I'm pretty bad at like I would be a horror product manager because I I can't think <laughs> of new, like, new ideas. But if you give me a problem to solve, you know, uh, I'm pretty good at finding an optimal for that and pick tool sets that feed into that solution. Definitely, like I'm I'm eager to things that you know, no matter whatever. If there's a learning hurdle, then I'll learn it. But long run, I see value for it. Then uh, quickly. Uh, be, uh, like I used to be, I mentioned Pug earlier. H to be a really big fan of Pug, uh, and formerly uh, known as Jade. Formerly known as Jade, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, I was use I, I I do a lot of work in Vue, and for a while I was using I re- I liked Vue because you, in your templates you could use Pug um, hmm. rather than not an option in React or JSX. Uh, and you know that was fun for a while, but eventually I found that the like IDE code it, uh, the tooling in uh, VS Code, um, like the IntelliSense and the auto hinting is a lot better. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, as much as I loved, loved Pug, time to say goodbye to that because the job just came a lot easier if I can just, you know, hit tab or in. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I have strong feelings about lots of things, but I, I don't hold too tightly to it because I'm... Yeah, it always seems like there are those trade-offs, right? Even even if you like this, this particular tool in isolation, uh, the ecosystem and how it integrates with other things and how many other... Um, add-ons and whatever else is created by the community can really nudge you towards choosing something that you may like less in isolation, but more when uh, integrated or, or conceived of in the as a whole. Um, yeah, I think that's I, I, that's very I, true. I think I'm at that point right now with TypeScript, honestly, where I I have nothing against TypeScript. I just haven't had opportunity to dive into it. And I'm at the point now where if, if somebody's going to introduce TypeScript, it should probably be engineer to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just don't have enough knowledge to that. But if someone were to hand me a TypeScript project with well-established patterns, I'd be happy to pick it up. Because I've at this point, uh, I've, I've kind of seen the benefits of it. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of 
good things that do a project, but I, I, I just need one to help, help me out with that I one. Think, yeah, I think, I think TypeScript uh, is difficult to take, take half measures on. Yeah. And that's something that I, I think can get people into trouble if they don't realize exactly what they're what they're buying when they take something like typescript on like that it's it's good that you bring that up in in relation to what we were just talking about because that is that is not something that can really be considered in isolation um to get a little bit into the weeds on on the technology i happen to know that one of the most common complaints when adopting typescript is that if you use any standard third-party you know, package like the dependencies that you're used to in a in a you know a, a non TypeScript project, just those npm packages that you'd install. Many of them are not going to have type definitions, and that is a real pain point for uh, people in TypeScript. And so, those are just things that you just may not consider on the outset: is how how making a decision like that is going to interact with the the behaviors that you would. That you would do around the the edges. Um, so I, I wanted to go back to to your career um, and that and that arc. It sounds like you got into management. You got into thinking about how teams work well. I'd be curious, like what what are the traits that that you find in other engineers? Like when you're working on a team, like what are the traits that really stand out to you and make make things go more smoothly, uh, make projects get completed faster without problems? Like, what are those traits that you really look out for? Um, curiosity. Uh, I think just a, no matter if they're like junior, senior, whoever, like curiosity, there's always something lore. So, you know, while I don't, I wouldn't put into production like Svelte. Uh, <laughs> Redwood? Yeah. Redwood's Redwood, pretty yeah. new. Uh, Redwood, like, I'm excited about those projects. I've played around with Svelte a little bit. Like, I have... Strong opinions that in the next five years, maybe it's not it won't be Svelte, but whatever Svelte is doing is going to be you know going to be huge in the new paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, you, even if that doesn't inform my actual production work, um, I have my eye out for that, and I I, I look for that in other uh, being excited about stuff out there and apply. Uh, you know, the the opposite of that would be their ways, uh, and whether or not that you know only do stuff in react or only. the more important thing is that they aren't they're, they're going to be a little less open to you know like less open to feedback less open to refactoring less uh so you know that kind of like yeah curiosity and being open to dialogue really like good engineers but also just enjoyable people like interesting mm-hmm. I, I don't know if i'm very interesting like mm. or interesting people are interested uh mm-hmm. um Actually, yeah, early uh, early on, one of uh, I think uh, one of the very first episodes was with Spencer Allen, and yeah, <sighs> that's that's totally uh, we yeah, yeah we talk about you know to be uh to be bored is boring to be you know interested is is interesting. Yeah, so there we go. I'm already plagiarizing this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm sure he doesn't <laughs> mind. Uh, but I mean, it's like it's it's true. And ideally, folks have other interests that are outside of you know building websites um that they can talk to, and that's that's always just like that. Um, mm-hmm. another thing, uh, like, like communication, uh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of like that, that like stereotype of the, the grumpy engine with their headphones <laughs> on. Um, yeah, <laughs> you don't need to be, you know, up at, uh, you know, conference stuff, but at, at least just like if something, if there's, if there's a roadblock or some kind of difficulty, be able to communicate that, uh, clearly and not, you know, like hand wavy, uh, 
techno babble to, mm-hmm. to folks. Your techno babble might be valid and correct, but if we're talking to the project manager who, uh, or like for an agency like an account person who has to communicate your you know delay to client, they need to understand. So just you know, general communication, being able to technical is to uh, non-technical. You know. uh, yeah, yeah, that, I'd that's... love to. Okay. I'd love to jump into that a little bit, a little bit more because one thing that I worry about is is. I think it's clear. I think I, I, I hope I hope a lot of uh, the listeners to this show have heard how important communication is. I think it comes up. I think it comes a lot on, uh, a lot on the show. I think it probably comes up a lot in other places as well. But I am a little bit concerned that maybe good communication in quotes is is a little bit nebulous. And I like that you you brought up some some actual concrete examples of of um, I don't know if I really want to say bad communication, but from some examples to watch out for, right? Relying on uh, techno babble, as you put it. So falling into really uh, technical jargon, while that might feel more correct or more um, specific, it, it often may not help. Being, you know, relying on, on the, the, you know, terminology, like the specific software engineering terminology, um, you know, oftentimes that that's just a little bit more difficult for someone on the other end to understand. And ultimately, the goal of communication is to get whatever is in your head, which is constructed of, of you know, these, these thoughts, um, you need to turn those into words, either verbally or on, you know, written down on a page, go through somebody's eyes or ears, and then ideally, reform into thoughts that match what you had in your head originally. And it can be, you know, sometimes that the, you know, the technical specifics can can help that. But if the person that you're talking to doesn't really have the same frame of reference as you do, if they happen to be less technical or in a more uh, product or, uh, you know, customer facing role, that's not really going to be as helpful as relying on simpler language. Like there's this book, I think it's called uh, Thing Explainer by uh, <laughs> Randall Monroe, you know, the uh, the XKCD guy. And you can really get very far explaining really complicated uh, topics using, you know, simple words. So you can, you can make it much more palatable and and easier for someone to understand what you're thinking about by not uh, falling back as as tempting as it may be on on complicated technical uh, language. And um, the other one too, I think is like you kind of mentioned you know the the, the 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 engineer with their headphones on uh, maybe being a little bit gruff or or not very communicative, right like trying to play code golf with your your words and trying to see like, you know how little you can say to make another person, you know, go away or leave you alone is is typically not a sign of good communication either. Um, if you if you do spend a little bit more time to make sure that the uh, you, you, the emails that you write, um, the you know the code issues, the descriptions in your pull request, making those more descriptive, using more words instead of fewer, uh, is usually a good sign. Um, but you're also not limited to words, right? I mean, there's so many good tools now for making screenshots, annotating them, recording animated GIFs of uh, 
you know, UIs, like actually showing someone like, oh, if you use it like this, uh, this is the intended, you know, this this is how to use this new feature I launched. Or, uh, you know, describing a bug, like is a recording of you using the browser and you can talk over it and say like, you know, but if I do it like this, you know, the, the date doesn't reset and then that causes a problem in this way. You know, those are also forms of good communication is being creative with how you can make sure that the person on the other end uh, really gets the point that you're trying to make. It, it really make it easy for them to think in their head something very similar to what you're thinking in your head. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. And that also kind of, you know, like communication isn't just talking, like you said. It's also like good document, writing good documentation is communicating. And, you know, when we talk about writing good documentation, we're not talking about like, spec docs like dozens of pages maybe, <laughs> maybe you do that but like there's different layers of documentation that are important the entire way like git commit history is documentation mm. that's a documentation uh. change over time so when somebody you know putting in a good description commits is documentation i've done that in the, like i've looked i've been like oh what was that uh thing like why did i make that change a year ago oh i just open up git history and i can look a year ago to find out like what bug that was fixing maybe it's linked to a jira ticket so i can even follow up there and ideally like in that jira ticket that was a bug report that was also well documented that you know like <laughs> writing bugs one of one of my like big pet peeves is a badly written bug issue uh bug mm-hmm. tickets like yeah. every bug ticket please everyone out there every bug <laughs> ticket should have steps to reproduce you know like go to this page click on this go go here click this to make the modal pop up whatever steps to reproduce um expected result what should you be seeing uh and actual result what are you like i i care about this way more than if you have browser information at least tell me that but like but i want to know like how do i get there what do you see and what should you see like otherwise i don't i don't know what the problem is if someone's like the you know the the, the image looks wonky on on the like settings <laughs> yeah, page yeah it doesn't doesn't look right yeah it doesn't look right <laughs> on the settings page I'm like okay what settings page are you talking about and what what should look right because i don't actually mm-hmm. know what correct i can't it's not actionable if i don't know how to what the goal um, yeah a thousand percent yeah, yeah getting getting what is in whoever's writing that ticket getting what is in their mind into whoever else's mind who's going to be uh, fixing it. What's also interesting about the way that you said that too, is it's actually not just uh, bugs. Um, that gap between what is what is actual and what is desired, that also works for features too. And those also can be explained really well in the in the format of like, okay, here's here's the current version. here's here's how it works if you go, and this is actual. And let me, uh, explain what the desired result is, which is different than what's what's happening now. It's almost, you know, it's it's, it's very. It can be very similar to uh, the the bug report, where it's like, okay, well, this is what's happening actually, and that's broken, and this is the way that it should work. Uh, except, you know, for features, it's could instead of should. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like I find a, a good like a good feature is gonna usually like. You know, agile stories, sure. Like that's a start as a user, be able to X, Y, Z, so that I can ABC. That's a good start, but you need a little bit more usually. And that a uh, good feature ticks that I've seen some kind of like, I should be able to click on this. Um, you know, and I really like those because those once you start to write that acceptance criteria, you can actually just write your tests off yeah. the acceptance criteria. Like that's already 
now, like, if you write the tests, then you'll know if you actually did all the things that are in the ticket, right? Well, ideally, mm-hmm. uh, if you wrote good tests. Uh, so, like, this is, you know, the segue from communication and documentation, but it's the same thing. Like, it's just documentation is communication throughout time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, uh, there's so many things, like, I don't need a Google Doc a dozen pages. I, no one will read that. But if you're able to kind of trace individual changes back through like commit history linked to a Jira bug feature and kind of see the story around that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I cannot. Yeah, I cannot emphasize that strongly enough. Um, I consider, yeah, the Git history, the revision history that you can kind of imagine these units of, okay, you look at the commit in Git, you can see all the code that that came in together. So you're going to see some application code that changes, either some additions or you know some some changes, additions, and, and you know deletions. Um, ideally, you also see a change to the documentation, even if it's just in the README. So now you've got some some words, some English or whatever language, but you know words that correspond to, okay, this code was changed. And now the way that I would express this to somebody else coming to the project, now you've got this one-to-one mapping between, okay, here's an explanation of what was changed. And then also in the tests, you have effectively examples of how that code is going to be used. And um, ideally that, that shows like the happy path, the sad path, all the different ways that you think that this code should should be expressed and the resulting behavior for, for for various inputs. If you take all of those together, that commit becomes very valuable for looking back and saying like, oh, okay, this, this is what was changed. And then to your point, if that's then tied to an issue, so this closes this issue, you can then see the business case or the the case for the user of why that change was necessary. So so the code basically has like the how and the what. And then if you go back to the issue um, and the pull request, you can see a little bit about uh, the why. And uh, even more, you could even see alternatives that were suggested. And you can kind of see the conversation about, okay, you know, the goal was to get from this side of the river to the other side of the river. How do we want to do this? And you can see someone propose, we take a helicopter. And someone says, no, we should take a bridge. And someone build a bridge. And someone says, like, no, we should take, you know, a raft. And ultimately, you can see the pros and cons of each, ultimately why they decided to build the bridge. And then once you know, okay, the decision was to build the bridge, you can see exactly what was needed for that bridge to be built. The changes to the application code, the changes to the, you know, the documentation and the tests required to to support that. And I think all of those things together when done well, uh, really help anybody who's new to the team, onboarding, whoever needs to build a bridge again, they can search the issues, find the commit and be like, oh, okay, if I need to build a bridge, it would be something like this. Oh, and you know, I could have also, you know, maybe this time I'll build a helicopter or take a raft or something like that, because those were the other considerations. So I think all of that is incredibly powerful. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And it kind of it, it gets back to that, like uh, thinking about the tool that we use and like removing friction in your life mm-hmm. easier. I find that a lot of people don't like no one writes wiki articles uh, because that usually happens either like before a feature goes out and it's out of date because the feature yeah. changed or after 
feature goes out, but nobody actually writes that because you're on to the next thing and you think about it. Uh, whereas like the this like the tickets are living at the time when you're actually your Git commit living at the time, so they're relevant at the time. So if you put in the extra work to actually write good you know, ticket documents, oh another sorry tangent. If you have discussions on Slack about changes relevant to the feature, summarize in the Jira ticket. That's another like Slack will be lost to the ages. Uh, <laughs> you know, just be like we you know sum it up. Uh, just to circle back in this Jira ticket about the feature, we had a discussion about a bridge versus a road. We settled on a bridge for the you know, just that, just that. Mm-hmm. That way yeah. it's clear. And again, you can come back to that. And you don't have to chase down a Slack converse. Um, yeah. But yeah, like this is you know much like a lot of like a lot of things. If you make it part of your process, it's going it'll happen a lot more likely than trying to squeeze in thing after. That. Yeah, totally. Well, John, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh yeah, so I just uh released a made a, a personal homepage for the first time in a long time, uh because enough motivation for me to actually have a website together. Uh, John dot dot rocks. That's J O N. Awesome. Dot J A N D O C dot rocks. Uh, because yeah, about two or three years ago, I found out that dot rocks is a top level, so I bought it and I just hang with it. So there we go. Uh, in honor of this podcast, is that love it, love it. We'll put it in the show notes. Perfect. Uh, thanks for joining me today. All right. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. And if you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniour.io. Thanks.